Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Friends, we are in week three of our Befriend series, which is all about friendship evangelism. Friendship evangelism. If you don't know what the word evangelism evangelism mean, it's a very Christian word for the thing of sharing your faith with others without being weird. And all the people say again, amen. Don't be weird, okay? (laughs) And what we are discovering in this series is so profound that we said in the first week that every one of us is called to share our faith. All of us. Evangelism is for all of us. It's not for the professional Christians. It's for everyone. And last week we spoke about this thing of knowing their name. If you have an intention to become friends with someone, Know their name first, know their name, where they come from, know their story. Call them out from the tree like Zacchaeus. Jesus called him out and said, come and follow me. Know their name. But tonight we're going to start like this. What is the first thing that you do if something great happens in your life? If something profound happens in your life? What's the first thing that you do? Come on. You share it. Niaman. Where's the TikTok and Instagram people? I mean, if you buy a new car, what is the first thing that you do? Where's my first photo? Yes. Please don't do that if you're my friend on Facebook or Instagram. I have a bit of a jealous heart, so I need to repent every time I see that. (laughs) You're not helping my Christian walk if you post stuff like that. If you get married, what's the first thing that you do? You share it. I mean, I married a couple once and um, as I was finishing my sermon and did the whole, you know, I do, I do, I do thing. As I was walking out, I saw on the WhatsApp status, married, a photo. I'm like, where did you get time? You were standing in front. But you say when something like that happens. If you get a baby, what do you do? You share it. Let's just be honest, people. Babies are ugly. I mean, it's like everyone pretends when they come and watch your new baby. Oh, beautiful, very nice, but it's like, uh. it's ugly. If you go and see someone's baby, what I do these days, I say to them, I have no words. <laughs> All the moms in the crowd is like, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't go there. Don't go there. (laughs) We share when we buy a new house. Come on. Even if you don't, you share it. (laughs) You share when you go on some diet. Banting. We're all the banting people. Is your liver still okay? And your heart, all of that, that fat, you know, and the cream and the butter. But you share when something works for you. You share when something incredible happens. But here's the crazy, scary thing, friends. It seems these days that Christians are not at ease to share their faith anymore. It's as if evangelism does not come very natural to us as Christians. It doesn't happen spontaneous anymore. There's a group by the name of the Barna Group and also the Alpha Group. Some of you are part of our Alpha course the past few weeks. But these two groups, they do 
actual research in the Christian faith to help us with stats so that we can lead better, reach people better. And what they have found in the past two years is this. Listen to this. 47% of Christians between the age of 26 and 41 years old believe it's wrong to share your faith with a person from another faith with the hope that they would come and join the Christian faith. That's very scary. 47, almost half of young people today think that it's wrong to share your faith. Another scary statistic is 65% of Christians haven't shared their faith in the past year with someone that's not of faith. People that are not part of the Christian faith. And what's interesting, what I saw in this research is they also ask unbelievers, people that are not of the Christian faith, what do you guys think? And it was scary to see that more unbelievers think it's natural and normal for Christians to share their faith, but they want it to happen in such a way that they don't feel condemned, judged, or uh, some doctrine forced upon them. And the scary thing about unbelievers is they say in this research that they are not open to faith because of the reputation of Christians. Hey, nah. <laughs> Sis. <laughs> I saw. But here's the crazy thing, friends. The Christian faith has got a message that is still relevant. And Paul says the, the, the message of the gospel is to salvation, the power to save everyone who believes. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans 10 verse 14. He says, how then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? You see, the rhythm of someone that comes to faith is this. They need to call on God, but how can they call on a Savior if they do not believe that He's the only way? How can they not believe if they haven't heard that He is the way to life. And how can they hear if there's no one that helps them to understand it? So this word that Paul is speaking here of preaching is not what I'm doing right now. So sorry, this is not the way to bring faith to people's lives. He's, he's just plainly saying, sharing what you have experienced in your own walk with God. That's the word preaching there. To preach about what God has done for you. There's a rhythm in evangelism. But maybe you have a wrong picture of evangelism. Maybe when I say the word evangelism, the first thing that comes to your mind is a TV evangelist, like that. Repent, for the end is nigh. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> Some of us grew up with that, you know, we watch these guys or this big crusade and we think that is the picture of evangelism. Some of us has got this kind of idea when it comes to evangelism. It's a guy that goes and stands on a street corner and shouts to everyone, you're all going to hell, burn, you know, is your seat warm because hell is hotter or whatever. <laughs> Or some of us has got this idea, it's someone that goes into the Amazon or into these unreached places in Africa to go and preach the gospel there, which is also not a bad thing to do. Don't hear me out wrongly. Or some of us has got an idea that to share your faith, you need to become a Jehovah's Witness. You need to knock on a door and say, listen, repent or perish, bry of 
draai, ach draai of braai, whatever. You see, but the crazy thing about evangelism is that each of us is called to share our faith, to share what we have experienced in our own walk with God. And I think the, the issue here is not the fact that we don't have a message, that our message is not relevant. The issue is how we do it, how we speak the word of God to people. Maybe we need to rethink what the word preaching means to us. And that's why we're doing this series. So first week we spoke about it's for everyone. Second, we spoke about know their name. And tonight we're going to speak about this thing of adding value to someone. Won't you turn your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians 9? Uh, you're welcome to join in with your phone or a physical Bible or the screen. You're welcome to read with me. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 to 23. Paul is speaking and he says the following. Though I am free and belong to no one, he's not speaking about his relationship with God, he's speaking about relationship with people. He says, I'm free from the bondage or the rulership of other people, but I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as much as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Do you have a friend who over explains themselves? Be honest. Yes, Paul is doing that right now. He's like over explaining himself. I hope you get what he's, what he's saying. Like sometimes you just want to say to someone, just speak it, speak it, say it. Don't, yes, just say it, you know. And then they go and they, you know, they take it from the Garden of Eden and they try to explain what is happening in their life at the moment. So that's, that's he's over explaining himself. So let's give Paul some grace. He says, so as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. You see, I think many times we have misinterpreted and misunderstood this scripture to mean the following. If you want to reach people that are not of your faith, what do you do? You become exactly like them. You start doing what they are doing. You start liking what they are liking. And hopefully you would, you would win trust. And then you would share your faith and they would come to salvation. But what Paul is actually saying here, he's saying, no, no, no. Don't become like them. He says, make yourself a slave of them. Your Eugene, but slave is not a very good word. I know. But let's use another word then. If slave is a difficult one to swallow. Servant. Paul says, I make myself a servant of all people. What does that look like practically? It means I ask myself, if I think about my unbelieving friends, I ask myself, how can I serve you? What can I do in your life? How can I add value to your life? How can I bring wholeness to your life? He says, I make myself 
a slave. He says, I become a Jew. Not physically. He's actually immersing himself in the Jewish culture, in the, how a Jew would think and act and what's important to a Jew and what a Jew likes and dislikes. And he asks himself, Lord, how can I serve a Jew in the best way possible that they can see the love of Jesus through my life? How can I add value to them? You might be asking, well, why do I, why do I need to add value to people? Why do I need as a Christian to go out of my comfort zone actually connect with someone that's not of my faith and start adding value to them. Come on, Eugene. I thought the Christian life is going out from that ugly world of sin and addiction and, you know, throwing your life away. Now I'm in the faith. I'm in the church. I'm blossoming spiritually. Why am I supposed now to go back and serve those people? <laughs> it's because of this one very profound idea that God saw value in every human being when he made them. Every person on this planet has got the value and the DNA of God over them. Who are we to say? Not you. Yes, you. Every person has got the fingerprint of God on their lives, saved, unsaved. Of faith, Buddhist, Muslim, you know, I don't know. All of them are made in the image of God. They are loved by their, their creator and God is calling them home. Who are we to say, not that person, not that person. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, verse 16, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. How do we regard someone from a worldly point of view? It's probably to think of someone in terms of their race, their gender, their economic status, their religion, their education, their work, all the externals. We make a value estimation on someone's life because of their externals. That's a worldly point of view. What does it look like when we see people from a heavenly point of view? We say to ourselves, before this person is a Jew, a poor person, a, I don't know, color that in for yourself, an engineer, a, a lawyer, and you know, if you want to go that low. No, I'm just joking. All the lawyers, God bless you. Before they are X, Y, and Z, they are made in the image of God. He made a value estimation over their lives. I don't know if you know, but how do we determine the value of something? How do you determine the value of something? If I ask you a question, what is your value in, the, in terms of random sense? What is your value? Quickly help me. Anyone, 100,000. I'm not that cheap. Okay, million. Anyone, million. Okay, 10 million. Anyone? 100 million. Yo, you are very expensive. 
One billion dollars. American dollars. Yes, my dear. Lawyer. Yes. <laughs> that was a stupid, silly joke. I just want to say, I love lawyers. Some of my best friends are lawyers. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my mind. I should have said pastor. Sorry. <laughs> you see, you can't put a value to your own life. It's value. It's, it's so huge that you, you can't put money to your value. But for some other reason, we devalue ourselves. We devalue other people. What is it that gives your life value, my friend? Is it your status? Is it your family of origin? Is it your degree that you are studying? Is it what whoever said about you? What gives your life value? value. It's your creator. You have to go and find out what your creator said about you. What is his intended value over you? There was a crazy, very interesting painting that was sold, listen to this, for 1.5 billion rand. That is the painting. It's called orange, red, and yellow. It's, it's incredible, eh? I mean, I see you're still awestruck. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so beautiful. 1.5 billion rand. I mean, I could do that. <laughs> you know why that thing sold for so much? It, it was because of the painter, Rothko. He's a very famous painter. He put that value. He placed that value on that painting. He thought that is a good value to sell that thing for. If you want to know the value over your life and over every human being on this planet's life, go and ask the creator, Lord, what do you say about my life? How much value do I have? How much value do that person have? Maybe you look like that, you know. You still have value. <laughs> no lawyers included in that. Okay. <clears throat> Listen to Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16. If you ever, if you ever doubt that you are valuable, if you ever doubt that the people around you are valuable, go to this verse, no, verse number 13 in that chapter. Listen to this. It's David calling out to his creator. I say, Lord, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. He's speaking about himself. Yes, Eugene, but that's arrogant. No, 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 that's not arrogance. That's worship. Lord, thank you that you have made such a beautiful work. Your works are wonderful. I know that fully well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's a value statement of the creator. How beautiful. Do you see yourself in that way? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you see other people that way? 
You see, sometimes we struggle to add value to people because we don't understand our own value. There's a crazy story by a guy by the name of John Maxwell. He's a very famous pastor and leader. And he had a friend also named John. And this guy was unsaved. He was not of faith. He was not part of the Christian faith. And John Maxwell started to add value to this person's life. What John Maxwell had was leadership insight and leadership, you know, he, he walked a journey in leadership and business leadership. So he could add that to this person's life. And he started to do that up until the point where the other John asked him, listen here, why are you so good to me? And John Maxwell said to him, I want to share my faith with you. <laughs> and this other John said, oh, okay, okay, now I see, you know. Yeah, you, you, uh, you, <laughs> you tricked me there. <laughs> and then John Maxwell said, yes, but you're not ready yet, so I still need to add some value to your life. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 you know, give me your faith. Let's see if it works. Give me what you believe. And he says, no, I'm not ready. You're not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I still need to add value to your life. So years passed. They played golf together. They had coaching sessions together. And this one afternoon, John Maxwell got a call from this guy. And he said, listen here, I don't know who to call, but I thought of you. My wife has got a terminal cancer. And John Maxwell said, now you're ready. He came, shared his faith with the both of them. Both of them committed their lives to Jesus and started walking a journey of faith. Listen here, my friend. You can't shove your faith in someone's throat before you have added value to their lives. And listen here, let me challenge you and myself with this. Don't think that I'm adding value to that person's life because I'm going to lead them to faith. No, just add value. That's what Jesus taught us. Just love them with no reward, with no result. That's okay. Just add value. Yes, Eugene, but what if I get rejected? Jesus was rejected. <laughs> he, he called 10 lepers. He healed them instantaneously. Nine of them turned their backs and went away. Only one came and said, Lord, I thank you. I bow my heart and my knees before you. I want to serve you. Nine of them turned their backs. So probably you're going to add value to people and nine of them will turn their backs on you. And that's fine. Add value to people. Second principle, include everyone. Just listen to this scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 22 in the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson put it like this. He says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. You see, it's easy for us to say, yes, let's go and add value to the people that we already know, that we are comfortable with. Let's go and add value to them. But Paul is challenging us to add value to everyone. 
If you have a contact with someone, it's an opportunity to add value to their lives. You see, God loved the world, all people included, that he gave his only son. And he loves you and he wants that love to shine through you to people you don't like. (laughs) Och, man. Can I just love the people that are normal, you know, the people that are like me? It seems like Jesus loved you, so (laughs) you're not normal. You're a bit of weirdness going on there. Jesus wants you to do the same. Last principle is this. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 23, the first part of that verse in the message paraphrase again. He says, I didn't take on their way of life. You have to understand that. We don't take on the way of life of people that are not of faith. But listen here, I kept my bearings in Christ. How a beautiful way to put it. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet to a God-saved life. You see, friend, it won't help if you stand on the outside of someone's life and try to call them to your life. You know, just come to church. Just come to my home cell. Yes, that's maybe a step in the process, but that's maybe not the first step in the process. Maybe the first step for you and I to take is let me immerse myself into their world first. Try to understand what their needs are. Try to love them where they are without expecting results. Just add value to them. You see, there's a huge difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is I feel bad for you. Empathy is I feel what you feel. I experience what you experience. Paul says it like this. He says, "Um, I have tried to experience things from their point of view. If you ever want to become a parent, anyone who wants to become a parent, not now, but in the future, just put up your hand quickly. All right. Any one of you are parents, but no one knows it. No, put it down your hand. (laughs) Okay. All the parents in the house says, whoop. I know it's past your bedtime. We're almost done, but don't stress, eh? The first principle in parenting is this. Enter their world. Immerse yourself in the world of your kid. And that, I am a parent of three boys, that is sometimes very difficult to do. Because I know what's best for them and I know what's, what they will become one day. So it's easy for me as a father to just say, you know, boy, let's go. Come on, get out of that thing that you are in now. Come No, my wife is so good with this. And she would sometimes take me by the hands and say, Eugene, he's just two years old. Yes, but he speaks like a 15-year-old, man. (laughs) He's got your genes. (laughs) No, as a dad, as a mom, what do you do? You immerse yourself in their world. You ask, what is the most important thing for them? How can I serve them? You don't force your ideals and your worldviews and your expectations on them. You actually come alongside them and you draw out what is already there. 
It's like this massive box of jewels that God has placed in your life and you, you enter that box and you draw out what God has put in there. You don't expect them to be someone different than what God intended for them to be. You're Im you immerse yourself in their world. And you don't put yourself as a parent at the center of their world and make you the main character. No, that's why you're a parent. You bring out the best in them. You enter the two-year-old's world. And it's difficult. That is what we call in the Bible incarnation. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did with us. Listen to Philippians 2 verse 6 to 8. Paul writes about Jesus. He says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What does that mean? It means Jesus was fully God. But he did not think that his equality with God is something to be misused in his ministry to man. Listen to what happened here. He says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus, in the heavenly realms, he was seated with God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, he left heaven. He became constricted on earth as a human being, fully God, fully man. He was born in a normal household with Mary. I can just imagine Mary with Jesus. Like, God, why, do you want to, why, do you, why don't you want to take the bottle today? Come on. Or Joseph, are you... Did you see God spilled milk again? <laughs> that is how, how personal Jesus made it. He became a human to understand your world. Hebrews says he became a high priest that could sympathize with us. He's been through every temptation there is. He's been through suffering as a human being. He knows what you are going through. That is what we call incarnation. And as a parent, that is what we do. We enter the world of our kids and we ask, what is best for you? How can I help you? And we do that exact thing with evangelism. We enter the world of people that are not of faith. Yes, we bry with them. Don't get drunk with them because we don't want to, you know, become like them in that way. But we bry with them. We play golf with them and endure the bad language that Jack Barrow think is for children, you know. We endure that. We play golf with, I can't play golf, but I will stand there with them. And Ferdi will play the golf. <laughs> We gym with them. We go to a baby shower with them. If you're a guy, don't pitch up alone at the baby shower. We go hunt with them. We 
attend their birthday celebrations. We go jock with them. We enter their world. And what do we do then? We add value. We babysit for them. We paint for them. We take food to them. We lend our stuff to them. We help with practical issues. We are just a friend to them. Yes, Eugene, but aren't I supposed to preach and explain the gospel and do apologetics? And no, that comes later in the journey. The first thing that you do is you add value. You serve, you become a servant of them. Listen how Paul ends this piece. He says, I did all of this. What's the motivation in his heart? I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. You see, it's easy sometimes to speak what you think about the Christian life or to post a little thing on your WhatsApp status or send these Dove verse thingies to people. Don't do that. <laughs> or to, you know, tag yourself in some spiritual thing. You know, it's easy to do that. It's easy to make your status Christian. Oh yes, you're, you're at that weird church, Doxodeo, we know. It's easy, to be, it's easy to invite someone to church and say, just come with me, you know. There they will sort you out. The most difficult thing is to be in on it, to enter their world and start doing the hard work of serving them, adding value to their lives. My oldest boy has a friend, his best friend. And this friend of his, his mother passed away three or four weeks back. Of cancer. The first thing that my wife and I said to ourselves is how can we add value to that dad that's going through this horrific thing and the two kids? I did not phone him and say, We're so sorry to hear about your loss. I phoned him and said, My heart breaks for you. When can we come and pick up the kids so that you can have a break? And he said the crazy thing that all of us said, yes, thank you, I'll call you whenever. A week later, he calls me, he says, Eugene, I can't do this no longer. Can you please come and pick up my kids? I need a break. Did I share my faith with him? Not yet. He's definitely not of faith. I can assure you that the words that his kid used in our home. <laughs> but it's a journey that will continue because and the question that I'm asking at this moment is how can I add value to that man's life? He's going through the worst moment possible. I'm not shoving scripture down his throat and say, yes, all things will work together for the good of those who love him and uh, let go and let God, all that nonsense. No, I say, how can I practically add value to your life? I would love for you to grasp this tonight. Start to add value to people's lives. Not the easy ones, not the ones that deserve it. Everyone. Everyone. 
We're going to sing a last song. Yaku and the team can join me up on stage. And as we sing this song, I would so love for you to make a moment with God. Last week, we gave out those little cards with a few names that you can write on there that you trust God for, for their lives to be changed. But I would want you to take a step further tonight and say, Lord, show me a name. Show me a person that I can add value to that person. How I can bring the love of God in a practical way to their lives. Won't you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.